0: New aphotic realm announcement. Uh, Submission windows for upcoming issues. Issue 10, the theme is justice. That's hard-boiled fiction with a supernatural twist. The deadline for that will be April 1st, 2020. Issue 11, the theme is kaiju. Giant monsters terrorizing civilization. Deadline will be October 1st, 2020 for those stories. Issue 12, the theme is lycanthropy which is, of course, self-explanatory. Um, it can be any type of animorph with a bloody twist. Uh, so I guess that's werewolves and... Jesus, giant... I don't know. What do people turn into? Seals? I've just got a little seal on my desk, so I thought of that. I don't know. You'll have to be more imaginative than I just was. Uh, but the deadline for Lycanthropy, January 1st, 2021. Good luck to everyone submitting.
1: I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot plot. The Plot Podcast Losing The Plot Podcast Talking to Leo X.
0: My guest this episode is Danger Slater uh, We talked earlier this year about the films of Harmony Corrine And then we'd started to go on a tangent about uh, Richard Linklater, but we so enjoyed our discussion we thought we'd come back again and this time talk about the films of Richard Linklater. Specifically, um, I suggested that he watch Slacker, and he suggested I watch A Scanner Darkly. We'd not seen them before, so we mostly compare and contrast those two films. It was a great chat. We'll do other ones in future. Um, Hope you enjoy listening to it. If you're a reader, writer, some sort of. Creative person who wants to be on the show, or if you want to tell me something about the show, you can always do so using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. But that's all my intro chat. So here is my conversation with Danger Slater. How are you doing? Good, Daddy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I just, uh, when I logged into Skype, I see our last chat it was six months ago.
2: Yeah. I'm in a totally new apartment at this point. Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: Same city?
2: Same city, different area. So it's kind of a a new experience here. You know, I've lived in the city for maybe six years now, five or six years, but I've never lived in, I'm in the southwest side now, so I've never lived over here. All these new, you know, restaurants, I mean, half the shit's closed because of COVID, but there's all these new (laughs) restaurants and stores that are, I'll be able to check out.
0: That's nice. how How long have you How long have you been there?
2: Uh, like three weeks at this point. Three or four mm. weeks.
0: Yeah. And what? Uh, what prompted the move?
2: Oh man, did I ever tell you about how crappy our last apartment was? Don't think so. <laughs> it was like next to a highway on ramp. So if we looked out our windows, there was a little patch of yard and then a wall, you know, uh, uh, and then on the other side of the wall was a highway on-ramp that uh, was kind of connecting the highway to this industrial area of the city. So it was constantly being driven on by 18-wheelers, and the whole building would just, like, shake all the time as cars would would drive by. Like, you know, it wasn't, like, violently shaking. But you would hear like the glasses in the cabinet just like rattle a little bit. <laughs> and then uh in that little patch of grass that I was just talking about separating us from the wall, there's just like rats and trash and all this other stuff. And it was just not a great situation. It seemed a lot nicer when we were looking at it than, than once we moved in.
0: <laughs> nice. And how's uh how's work going? I imagine it's been kind of up and down with coronavirus stuff has it changed the yeah
2: uh my my old job of like just kind of delivering things is pretty steady because that would be you know what people are doing now they're getting things brought to them instead of going out and picking them up themselves but i've been working um a little less because i've been able to get some supplemental money from the government itself Uh, They they kind of made this program where they were giving independent contractors a little supplemental income. And because I'm so used to living so cheaply, I don't have to work really (laughs) right now (laughs) or hardly at all. (laughs) Like, I I can survive on that supplement. So I've been uh, just kind of hanging out and writing, you know, trying to find productively. You know, this is kind of a a boon or or gift, it almost feels like for me to concentrate on my creative
0: stuff. Yeah, definitely. No, I feel I feel the same. I just really enjoy being at home and being quiet and thinking of creative stuff. So kind of works. As out. you're writing
2: as you writing uh output and It's gone up.
0: Yeah, it's gone up for yeah. sure, I think. I didn't notice how much like just taking the bus out to the office, like having to wake up on time and then just how draining it is didn't notice until I don't have to do it and then so much extra energy to pour into stuff I I want to do and I'm also kind of better at work as well because I'm always like comfy and I don't yeah. know it's nice I feel
1: like people don't really need
2: bosses I mean some people I guess do but as long as there's someone to just check to make sure you've done your work I understand how organizations kind of have to you know function but as long as you're just reporting into somewhere and getting what you need to get done. Like no one needs a boss really breathing down their neck. It's really just going to make them unhappy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know what it was like.
2: To it, but I, I've never really gelled with a bo- boss uh, personally. I've really had problems. Like that.
0: Um, they're always super nice here in Norway. I think for the most part, super chill uh work yeah. culture. Everyone's like. On a level plane, like, you talk to them, like, everyone talks to each other on the first name basis. Um, everyone's pretty friendly. So it's nice. But I'm not somebody who gets told what to do easily <laughs> either, I think. Uh, or definitely, if I had the choice, I would definitely never be told what to do. <laughs> well, well, probably because you do
2: your job, right? No one needs to kind of tell you what to do if you're doing it. Fair, yeah? fair.
0: Yeah, I think so. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yes, true. So, um, have you been watching a lot more films generally?
1: Uh, yeah,
2: I mean, I watch a lot of movies to begin with, but I still kind of uh, keep my schedule, even during all this coronavirus for the past six months, I, I still keep my schedule pretty similar. So I'll, I'll watch like a movie almost once a day, maybe once every other day. You know, break it up with some cd or something but i i save it all for the evening because i don't want to i don't want to like derail my productivity in, in the middle of the day i want to be able to work on, on my writing and i'll read and mm. just kind of like you know take care of all my errands and stuff but yeah i been watching some films how
0: about you yes yes a lot of stuff um it, it reminds me of like um i don't know if you've seen that ursula Le Guin does her like writing process in a day and it says like um after 8 p.m. I get very stupid and we don't talk about that. <laughs> so it's like I definitely yeah. feel like that in the evening, at which time like I would love to do something productive, but I just just can't. You know, it's it stops being productive. So I I like I stayed up last night watching a scanner darkly to make sure that I was prepared for a chat. Um so yeah, like once every evening I'll watch something. Um not a lot of great stuff. Like I say, I said I sent Possessor to you. I love that. Don't know if you've seen it yet um
2: no yeah i still i'm still planning on it i i've only heard great things about that movie
0: i loved it for sure i really did and um it made me think that in future we should do a cronenberg chat but i think i've picked both the directors for a chat so far so it's it's totally up to you (laughs) in the next six months
2: (laughs) i mean oh sure but i i mean you're saying you pick the directors but these are people i'm interested in it's not like i'm like i'm doing Doing Leo a favor over here, like yeah, watching yeah, yeah. some movies. So, uh, yeah, especially when, when we were talking six months ago about uh about Harmony corinne It's like you know this is one of my favorite filmmakers, so it was a it was a treat to revisit the movies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like I I yeah I don't discuss films with so many people either, so it's really I I don't share this taste with that many people, so it's really nice for me to um yeah. So tell me what about... about those, um, go for it, go for about, it. I mean, yeah, I was just to say, what about those people you've been making
2: films with? You've been doing your own short films. I mean, these people have to be interested in
0: in movies, too. I mean, maybe at yeah. the same time. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I don't know. We have a lot of fun making stuff, but we all have very different tastes. But, I mean, that can be good as well, right, to to find out other, other stuff.
2: I guess, and so until it starts breaking you all apart cuz everyone's like i got to you know pursue my idea you know i've got the right idea you know i don't know how mm-hmm. the kind of dynamic of the group but well like, for know, me too many competition things.
0: for me and i think this ties into Linklater who is like a huge uh inspiration for me is that naturally i think it's, it's all about the right and quality for me first um and i think that filmmakers typically come from the angle of like, oh, this will look beautiful. I wonder why I can put this in my film rather than the other way around, which is to, to write something and then find where those places will go. Um, so I think that's what makes me like. That that defines my taste when it comes to making films. Is like as long as the story is strong, I barely care about the quality of the image. Actually, um, but, like the le- the less people are acting, the better. Uh, I think. Uh. And this yeah. goes against the kind of people who come to my club who are like one woman is like a professionally trained theater person. And she was talking about like how to develop characters and to wear specific clothing to keep your like to separate yourself from them. Um, whereas I want like as little separation as possible. Um, I want it just to look like reality. Yeah. Almost, is, that, but, uh, is that kind of like why you connected
2: with Slacker?
0: yes I mean, yes definitely yeah 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 and I, I wanted to talk to you about that like d- did you watch it
2: uh yeah i watched it last
1: night okay
0: cool. it was my
2: first time watching it, too, so this was a uh a new experience here
1: yeah well, what did you think of it
2: <clears throat> i thought it was very interesting like and it's there's a kind of amateur quality definitely to the film um but I think as an idea, and it have and watching it kind of realize and blossom, it's just kind of. I was sitting there with my girlfriend, and we were, you know, she was watching it with me. She didn't really care for the movie, but I liked it a lot.
1: Mm.
2: And I found that there was this almost I don't like hypnotic nature to the way the movie was kind of unfolding. Like not not that it was putting me to sleep, but it was making me feel relaxed to just like peek in at these people even though their conversations are all kind of like about paranoia and ufos and conspiracies and weird shit um but just the nature of how the film was created and Mm. plays out i found very
0: kind of peaceful in a way (laughs) yeah definitely i have to say that like when i started watching it like, it made me a little mad at first, in a way that I was just like, oh, my God, first of all, I was like, who cares? Because, like, yeah. it's the, the director himself for, like, nine minutes talking about, like, his dreams and his, like, all of his ideas rambling onto this taxi driver. I was like, oh, my God, who cares? And also, like, like, this is so trivial. I was almost like, how dare you be so, like, impractical a person? And then, like, the structure itself is so, like, impractical and it's so, like, not what is done. And that's very much like what I get a lot in um, in my film club is I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. Point the camera here, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, but you should have it over your shoulder and the light should be there because like that's how they do it in Hollywood. And I'm like, I, I don't care. Like, I just want it done. Like, give it a shot. Maybe we're onto something here. Maybe not. Try it out, you know? Which I think is very much how we write as well, right?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, in general, it's kind of like a seat of your pants kind of thing, you know? And... Uh, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. So you one, you got yeah. to stick, you stick yourself in the situation to be like, how do I get out of it? <laughs> how do yeah. I figure this out? Yeah. now I don't have time to, not, uh, to think about it any longer.
0: But like, what, what I love about this film is it, is it is an ode to, I guess, frivolity in a way. Because these people like are not at all concerned with, they're almost completely, their culture's completely detached from the mainstream. And they're obsessed with stuff that, like, few people care about. And, um, like, they won't be remembered or acknowledged for the way that they live their lives. It's just so weird. But, like, that lifestyle is lauded in the film.
2: Yeah, and there's a, a sort of universal, or at least still at this point, appeal to it. Because I know this is kind of a Gen X film um so slightly before my time i'm kind of like on that cusp age between the two generations um but you know austin in 1990 could basically be port portland in 2020 like it is very much I mean, the way it looks the way kind of people just are hanging out and have their little projects they might be working on in their yard and it doesn't really seem like anyone's working too hard or really doing anything at all <laughs> you know it's just very uh it's very much still where i think we are as as a culture at least uh like that 20 something age Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know basically everyone in this movie is under 30 i would say it's basically uh they're all between graduating college i'd say and doing literally anything else with their lives
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah that's true um because that was going to be my question to you, whether or not you knew people like this. Because I very much like never hung out in circles with people like this at all, which I think is why I find it fascinating as well.
2: No, that's almost everyone I know is like this. <laughs> 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 I live in a in a basically a bohemian city uh, with a bunch of, and all my friends are other artists and writers and stuff. So I, it's very much a lot of. When we get when I get together, my friends, we have conversations, sort of like how we have now, where where we just kind of we'll end up dissecting something or or within the pop culture, or you know, talking about what we're working on ourselves. Um, Which you know, art in a lot of ways kind of seems like a frivolous answer to that "what should I do with my life" question, even though if you think about it a little deeper. It's not at all because it's that it's that kind of that connective tissue between the emotional, you know,ness uh, of, of of generations and all that. But as an artist yourself, you're like, I, I mean, at least me, uh, half the time I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what is the point of this? I'm writing my story, going, what is, who is this helping? You know, <laughs> like, who is this for? Um, and I'm wondering. If that ever goes away, even when you kind of start affecting or reaching larger and larger audiences, I'm, I'm wondering mm. if there's still that kind of question of, of what am I doing here
0: i th- I think there must be, and I think that like your fiction even contains that message because I think about some of your stories like they take on like they take on death, they take on like existential questions and like are placed in in like the grandest timeline of things which no matter how big your achievements are, is nothing, essentially, you know? um, Because I kind of feel that, like, I, I one thing I think I've, like, I, well, this is what I've learned, I guess, in recent years. I also definitely see this reflected in Linklater's films, is that, like, yes, okay, I've never hung out with people like the people in Slacker or in, like, any of his films because this is, like, a his genre of person, but they all deal with the same, like, human stuff that we all have to deal with, like divorce and grieving and you know all the stuff that just a human goes through and those things are like so much more impactful than than the things that make us different you know
2: yeah no i I can totally see that it he's got such a weird career too because you can see how this movie is kind of a mission statement for him and it kind of bleeds into at least everything i've seen. From him in certain ways. There's, there's, and he's kind of taken a weird approach in doing commercial films and big studio movies along with these little strange indie movies that are, that are kind of these, I don't want to say plotless, but they just kind of roll along and they're more about the philosophy of the thing
1: Mm -hmm. than
2: an actual story with a narrative arc.
0: Yeah. I I think he definitely, he also represents like, When he is doing his own thing and not these commercial things, like a total triumph of a self-developed style, because like there's so many things he does that should not be done if you if you're taking it from a very systematic approach, which I don't think is how you really make anything of value. You basically have to go off first principles of like what do I want to see or how do I think this should unfold, with no. I mean, I've seen you post about this before, how, you know, every time you start a new story, you're like, what the hell am I doing? It's it's like round zero again. Um, Yeah.
2: You know, I read a book recently by Robert Rodriguez. Are you familiar with Robert?
0: I read that. I read that recently as well. Yeah. Same one. Yeah. The
2: uh, Rebel Without a Crew. Yeah. Like, and it's very much kind of what you're saying where he's just like i don't know what i'm doing i'm just gonna get a camera i know i love movies and i know i'm gonna figure this out yeah and i'm gonna point it at the thing and i'm gonna like get to the place and i'm gonna make it work and Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know there's i found that book to be super inspiring he's not very he talks a lot about the technical aspects of making a movie which is all completely outdated at this point it was like in the early 90s when he was talking about video
1: tapes and stuff
2: yeah (laughs) and how he procured it and how he edited it it's all irrelevant at that at this point but the kind of exuberance you have to approach creating art and the the malleability you have to have in your mind to be able to adapt to things or think on the fly and
1: I, i don't know just
2: like something to be said for having your vision putting your head down and just plowing straight forward and that's kind of what Rodriguez was talking about in that book he's like I'm going to make this movie and I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to get it produced and I'm going to and everyone's going to see it and it, he just did like mm. you know just by take, not taking no for an answer by working super hard and by having an actual vision that he wanted to
0: express. yeah yeah I, and I think so like art and film's when you take that approach it's so the opposite of what everyone tells you to do i i gave a presentation to my club on that book that i never ended up putting on the youtube channel because i stole so much from the book that i thought (laughs) i can't really just post this online but um yeah essentially that message i mean like so many people are going no you can't do that you can't do it that way you'll never get it done for that money and finally he gets it done for that money and they're like how everyone's how did you do that like people have been in the industry for so long are asking him how how he did things because he refused to do it their way um, because he approached it as if it had never been done before. And I think that if you're going to make anything, you have to approach it that way because surely you must have something original to contribute, be it like in the form of structure or voice or dialogue or something original that people haven't seen. And, th- and if you you get that out by approaching it as as if there are no rules because I don't really think there are.
2: Yeah. And... I think that's where Slacker kind of why it has this cult status and why people are still talking about it today. Um, and this guy has a career still today because while the movie, you know, might not have the best acting in it. And a lot of these people don't even seem like actors. It just seemed like people grabbed off the street or his friend. And um, there's some, there's some interesting camera work, but a lot of times he's just a point and shoot shot. You know, he's just let us get the two people in frame and have a talk. Um, so while these things might seem like a, a detriment, it, I feel like people were connecting on this with such a level. Uh, Cause it's so, it was so fresh that it kind of influenced a whole, like, like all of movies kind of after it. Like you have something like clerks that Kevin Smith made uh, a couple of years after this, which is, Basically the same movie, just a little leaning a little harder into the comedy and a little more refined version of it. So you know, and then at least for people of my generation, like Clerks is one of those trade, like those Hallmark movies that I was just like, oh, like you can make movies where people just talk about Star Wars the entire time and fuck around, and it's just your friends are are in it, and anyone can do this.
0: Yeah, yeah, I find that so liberating, and and I definitely believe that that anyone can, that anyone can make art for sure. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask, like, now that you've seen Slacker, like, how does it relate to, like, other films of Linklater's that you've seen?
1: Well, that, we, we, hmm. there is, like, that, it's hard to say for certain movies,
2: because there's stuff like School of Rock, which is a studio job, essentially, but, Movies like *Dazed and Confused*, um, or or even *A Scanner Darkly*, which we're, we're going to talk about a little bit too, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of like it's about like people, right, more than plot, and it's about these weird kind of side conversations that they have that is revealing their character. So instead of focusing strongly on any particular like plot point, any, any progression, the progression happens because people are trying to figure out a way to relate to each other. And then there's also, you know, like in slacker, everyone has these kind of paranoid (laughs) uh, talking points and conspiracy things that kind of has carried through. I think a lot of his work too. I think that's kind of where he might be as a, as a person himself where he's just like, you know what? I don't trust the government and I don't trust anybody
0: yeah there's uh you can watch a like the director's commentary of slacker which i did at one point and he's like i think he does start to talk over the people talking in it and he's like yeah this is basically me like i think voting is just symbolic and they already know who's going to win already and stuff so <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. that was the point that was that
2: conversation specifically the guy talking about them counting the votes and how people don't vote like and they're just kind of chilling on the couch i'm like that's portland right now like with our with the, the American presidential election just happened, just to put this in context, last week and there's all these disputes of who won and, and whatever and protests everywhere. And it's basically that is kind of the sentiment floating around where people are like, what is voting and how is it even matter? You know, there's always yeah. this if, if if there's gonna be all this contest and all this contesting going on um with the election when it seems clear to certain people who the winner is. Like, what is the point of even participating in this system? And I think that's where people were before and where they're going to end up (laughs) again after this election.
0: I just, have you seen, uh, this is like a tangent, have you seen Michael Moore's latest film? The one about Mm. Trump.
2: Oh, no, which was that?
0: It's called Fahrenheit 11.9.
2: Oh yeah, I I did. I, I actually went to the theater and saw that. I think that was last year. You
0: know. Okay, yeah. Was yeah. it last year? Okay, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was it was interesting. I I you know Michael Moore is I think pretty interesting filmmaker himself. Obviously he has an agenda that he's trying to express, uh, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who don't like him go, this is biased filmmaking. Well, yeah, of course it is. He's a He's making a movie. Like, he's yeah. not going this, you know, have a point of view he's trying to express, but it was less of a takedown of Trump, I thought, and more of kind of a takedown of the way voting and the entire system works. And I mm. think a lot of people actually watched the movie, even Trump supporters, they might've been like, oh,
0: yeah, this makes sense. You know, I get,
2: I get where he's coming from. Yeah, the, the system is fucked, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like more of a takedown of corporate Democrats and how they kind of smugly thought they they could pick the person without um, without consulting the people voting voting for these people. So yeah, no, I found it was super interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I, like she mentioned a scanner darkly. Like when I watched it, I was like, oh my god, these characters are could have been in slacker it's like the same yeah. the same thing except sci-fi version um but is this like is this like a favorite film of yours did you read the book you I,
2: i've it? never read the book i've actually never read a philip k Dick book which might be I almost, would, you know i would bother you know,
0: actually Oh, yeah? <laughs> I, I I tried to I tried to read *The Scanner Darkly so I could watch the film, and I was like, I can't get through this. I don't actually like his writing very much. So I was I was glad to see the film because I was like, oh, is that the story he was trying to tell me? Okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but I, I'm not. Yeah, a lot, of the, a lot of the
1: film
2: adaptations are really great when they when they kind of take his idea and I think filter it differently. I don't I don't know if I would connect with the writing either. Sometimes. Uh, these, these more classic genre writers they get a little like H.P. lovecraft and stuff like the ideas i think are a lot better than the execution of what he was doing because i try oh, to yeah. read it that story and i'm just like all the esoteric language and the way it's constructed i'm like just tell me what's happening like yes okay there's there's mountains and madness and <laughs> you know, cool but like what is actually happening <laughs>
0: yeah well you're really 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 horrified by whatever it is what is it? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I tried to read um, Edgar Allan Poe for the first time recently as well. I was like, what the hell is this? Honestly, I couldn't. <laughs> I had to give up. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but yeah, I think um, Philip K. Dick was on drugs a lot of his own life and writing very quickly for money, I think. And both of those things show in his prose, really. It's like very dry, not terribly doesn't really engage your imagination um yeah so uh, so i'm not a fan of that but i did i did like the film um and i think it was in the right hands as well for like these characters to be treated compassionately um and again something that's like super maybe prescient in terms of what's going on in america because there wasn't like a i don't know if there was like a war on drugs in the 60s or whenever that book was written i think early 70s uh
2: yeah i think it was in seven in the 70s sometime.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: but uh yeah yeah it's i wish i knew a little bit more about the book because i feel like it is a faithful adaptation of the idea but i don't he probably was not landing in the same kind of space as Philip K. Dick was in the way he was kind of conveying these characters and, and how we relate to them. And I think it's because, you, like I was just saying, I could see Slacker all up in this movie. You know, I could see that kind of mindset in there. So I don't, maybe that's what attracted him to the, the Dick book to begin with. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it was the other way around. <laughs> and he's not like, let me figure out how to take this guy's work and make it into my vision. But he's like, my vision is actually this guy's.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Too. i think so i think they're very like slacker-esque characters and i think that might have been why i found reading the book quite tough is it, it is this kind of um you know these huge pontifications that they go on and that are just kind of random little paranoiac fantasies of yeah. theirs <laughs> with no apparent purpose um although i thought that robert downey jr did great at that i don't typically like him in things um but he at one point in his life must have been like that character i think
2: yeah i think this was kind of in his uh, his post drug days but before he was iron man so there was this, yeah. he did this like, he had a little era of a couple of years where he did all these really great indie films um where he was just doing phenomenal acting probably some of the best he's ever done and mm. this is like right in there and I, I i watched this i didn't watch it again um just for this podcast, because I watched it about a year ago.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, but when I watched it then, I was so blown away by his performance. I was just like, he is so interesting and magnetic. And this is a movie filled with movie stars, big personality kind of movie stars. Woody Harrelson's there and Keanu Reeves. and But he's just stealing every every scene he's in.
0: Yeah, for sure. When he, he goes in to report to the who are they? I don't know, the secret agents or whatever branch they're supposed to be part of and he's always wearing this beret and like, but totally playing it seriously and you just buy it. You're like, okay, that's, yeah, okay, cool. Guy in a beret. <laughs> Nothing weird here. Do you
2: think th- that character then was Richard Linklater's kind of mouthpiece? Because you said the, you know, when you were watching the director's cut for Slacker, he's like, oh yeah, this is basically just what I think. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He-
2: character to filter all his kind of weird ideas about the world and how people relate to each other
0: i wonder i can't see because i didn't make it through the book i can't quite recall like what they were discussing but i'm pretty sure there are those kinds of discussion like it opens with the guy who's got the bugs all over him and the book also opens like that and then they do the scene where they show off the scrambler suit i think it's called um So it's pretty faithful, I think, and all those characters are in the book and do pretty much what they do in the book as well. Um, So it's probably faithful to the text along with a bit of Linklater and a lot of Robert Downey Jr. himself um, working through what he went through, I suppose. Do
2: you think the animation hindered this film from being a big success i mean i think it's oh. great i think it really itself lends itself to this animation it kind of makes everything amorphous and weird and yeah. surreal uh like you're on drugs yourself maybe you know yes, kind of tripping definitely out. but uh i know the movie didn't do very well in the theaters even though i find this to be the perfect union of that slacker-esque indie filmmaking with a more hollywood sensibility of a traditional style with movie stars and stuff like that
1: mm-hmm. um, but it never
2: it didn't really hit you know uh, if people saw this it was probably because they rented it in because you know uh they liked keanu reeves or something
0: yeah yeah definitely i think it must have been the art style because this was like it's early 2000s when you had like minority report when did that come out i think early 2000s as well so you've got like Big blockbuster Philip K. Dick adaptations, and this comes out also around that time. They could have marketed it in that style, and but it isn't like that at all. It's a totally different film. Um yeah, more power to them for committing to that style. And also like never really using it again as well, which I think makes the film even more unique as time goes on, because you don't see films that look like that anymore, to my knowledge.
1: Yeah, I think
2: he did he did it in that movie, Waking Life, yes, which is what I think earlier film. So this is kind of I think a refinement, essentially, of that rot- rotoscoping. I think it's called when you when you cut, draw over the the film,
1: something um, like that. Yeah, yeah.
2: But like I, I, you know, I haven't seen Waking Life in a very long time. Or but this was like a much clearer version of that much cleaner looking there's a lot more going on with the backgrounds and the way things are kind of blending into each other um the actors look like themselves you mm-hmm. know like there's no mistaking which actor you're looking at because it's an animation it you, you know it's very much uh yeah it's like it's i don't want to say it's photoreal because it's not but because it, it's got that impressionistic quality to it it's just I, yeah surreal, I guess it's the only way to describe it. It's just like everything you know twisted in a in a bit of a funhouse way mm-hmm you know and it, it really matches the mindset of the characters on this drug what was it called substance B or something yeah like yeah so it kind of matches where these people would be in their in their minds, where the world is this sort of cartoony version of itself where things are are twisted in ways that they're not supposed to look.
0: Yeah, definitely. And also, I think, um, yeah, because of the way it's drawn, it does kind of feel, kind of switches between 2D and 3D, and the perspective is always just a little off. So sometimes the rooms kind of get squeezed and pulled back a little bit, which I think it must be like if you're on drugs, you know, the kind of drugs that they're taking in the film. So it does really work. Um, and also, I think, like, it's faithful to the plot, which just kind of, to me, it just seemed to jump into the story. I didn't really feel like there was a proper intro or anything it's just like here he is he's living with these people what
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's a little disorienting at first um but like by by the middle of the movie i think you're kind of on board with what's going on like yeah well, maybe that is part of, of part of it's commercial i don't know failure <laughs> as, as well um just how much the audience has to buy in and not be kind of have their hand held and be like here's the world let me show you every little thing in order it's like no you're in the world you've already been immersed in the world like Keanu Reeves is already living with these people he's already undercover he's yeah. already so deep into his addiction himself Like it's, you're not getting whisked away you, you're already taken by the time you start
0: Mm-hmm. It's true, even when it comes to a bit towards the end, like, no spoilers, but there's a plot twist when somebody takes off their scrambler suit thing, and I was just like, is that is that really happening? Or is this, like, another... Is somebody hallucinating that this is happening? <laughs> like, I couldn't even figure out if that was happening in the plot or if it was, you know, just invented. Um, so it's a very disorienting film. I think that probably has something to do with it, for sure. Um... But do you think uh, Waking Life is worth watching?
1: Yeah, it's kind of, from what I
2: remember, it's kind of more like Slacker. It kind of just follows little vignettes of people around, but then they do this kind of animation thing over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you're into the way this movie looked and you like Slacker, I would, I would go back and check that out.
0: Cool. Um, and, but I think of Linklater's films, is Bernie the one you've seen the most?
2: Yeah, I don't know what it is about that movie. Uh, maybe this is just kind of the, the link letter thing, too, where I find it very soothing to watch that film, even though it's about it's a true crime documentary, essentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but I find it super just like enjoyable. <laughs> you know, it's just a very relaxing way to present what is essentially a murder. <laughs>
0: Yeah, see, see, um, is it in Texas? Mm -hmm. is in Texas, okay, yeah. Like, he has such a love of those people and, like, local characters that, um... The thing is, you pointed out, like, he has local people just playing parts in the parts where the actors are in it as well, and they don't look out of place because the world is so well-constructed and appreciated. Um... I think yeah, like watching his films is a bit like I love Texas, hang out in it for a bit. <laughs> yeah.
2: mm-hmm. Well, especially with Bernie, it's so seamless between his the quote unquote local characters and the actual actors because you know Matthew McConaughey and uh, Jack Black are in it. Um, but I didn't even know those were real people until the first time I watched it until the credits were rolled. I thought it was just kind of like they were using this weird style to just tell this story. But those were the real people involved doing real talking heads with the Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine doing the reenactment aspects of it. And I was just like, oh, these people, if you point a camera at these people and shoot it like a movie, they look like they were cast as as, like they're just actors themselves because they're such big characters. And you get the feeling that this small town is just full of characters. It has such this w- such a weird kind of insular life to it that it's its own culture
1: mm-hmm. kind of
2: bubbles by itself. Which, you know, I don't I don't wanna I don't know if you wanna spoil the ending of how Bernie plays out too. Uh you know, it's a true
1: crime, so it's not like there's there's no record of how this film ends. But it, the pe- it makes sense the way that people react to this crime, considering
2: how they act to each other and how their their world is presented in the film.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why uh, Linklater films are so relaxing. is like because um, of his love of like every like ordinary people. Maybe you feel like you master more when you're watching it. Because a lot of the time it's just like, should I be doing this to be better at that? And so on. But his films are always very much about appreciating the struggles that all of us go through. I think that like, um, more than any director, I feel like he approaches the, the toughest truths about what it means just to be alive, but also does it in such a very compassionate way. It's like, hey, it's okay, it's worth being here, but like these bad things happen and you've got to think about this sometimes
2: yeah <laughs> do you would you consider him to be an auteur like uh like you know we were just talking about wes anderson a little earlier how, yeah. you know this is stamp is on every single frame and every single piece of dialogue and you know there you know there's nothing involved in a film where he's not deeply entrenched into it
1: mm-hmm. do,
2: you, do you kind of get that impression from link letter because I, I kind of feel that he's either like let me put the camera down and see what happens and let life play out but then there's also this kind of uniqueness to it that I'm like I don't know if other people are able to capture this I don't know what what mm. the mad vision he has behind the camera and how much that's actually influencing what's what's happening in front of it
0: Yeah that's a good question and and I definitely think he is and I think that like the the stamp that he puts on it must just be like the mood he creates as a person on set in order to make that style and that voice come through everything he does um cuz like the the best example i think of is uh, i don't know if you like casavetes john casavetes uh, films
2: yeah i'm not super familiar with with all okay. of them so.
0: no worries but like um he like you definitely know you're watching one of his films when you're watching one of his and apparently when he passed away he left about 50 four, i think 40 like unproduced screenplays that he'd written in his lifetime that like as far as I know nobody's making into films but I figured like what's the point because without him you're not going to make a Cassavetes film and so I think the same is the same is true of Linklater is that like if you took his scripts and gave it to somebody else you're not going to capture that mood you know that's um that can't that can't be taught and that can't be replicated by somebody else it's probably a good definition of it yeah
2: you kind of got that with, um, with Kubrick uh, and Spielberg when they did AI, because I think Kubrick had passed away before he was able to get deep into the production of the movie, so Spielberg took his script and made it his own, and like you could see their, both their thumbprints on it.
1: Like You're like, oh, this is
2: clearly a Kubrick script, and this is clearly a Steven Spielberg-directed film, but without... Them kind of following through, I think, all the way, like from the beginning to the end, it doesn't really have the same kind of impact mm-hmm. as, as it. Will. You don't watch people don't watch AI and go, oh, this is this is Kubrick's master unproduced masterpiece. They go, oh yeah, that was a movie. Uh, did you see The Shining Wheel? Oh, that movie is amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Know. It's been a long time since I saw that one. I just remember it being really, really long. Be like, oh my god! And then he like, he goes underwater at some point. I'm like, right, it's got to end yeah. now. And then he's just hanging out there for a few hundred years or something. You're like, Jesus Christ,
1: man!
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably not a good. It's not probably not a good uh, indicator that you're enjoying a film if you're like, yeah, all I remember is it's long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but who are like, who are some other otters to you? Kubrick I mean, you mentioned. Yeah,
2: yeah, and Wes Anderson. We just mentioned Cronenberg, uh, oh, um, like, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's there's almost no mistaking a Cronenberg movie, um, mm. or or like a, a Cohen brothers.
0: Oh, definitely, know? definitely, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Just like any any person who
2: you know has a vision, and and you know that. There's no mistake in a Cohen Brothers movie, you know, like when you watch it, even I don't, there's a TV show for Fargo, um, which just had gone for four seasons, and they're not directly involved with it, but like they're not directly involved in how like they're not directing it themselves. You know, I think they're producers, and obviously it's their idea. but the TV show looks like one of their movies. Whoever is behind that is just like, I'm going to kind of continue exactly what. These guys were doing in the same way that they were doing it. So it it very much is like someone taking someone else's vision instead of taking it instead of focusing on the idea and going, I'm going to do my own thing with it. They're like, I have to be faithful to what these guys see in, in movies and how they like to portray things and how they like to show it. That's I think the, too, though, uh, writers connect with that mindset because when you are writing a story you're essentially taking every role if it were a film right you are the director or the screenwriter you are all the actors you are the cinematographer it's all in your head playing out the way you want it to play and you're doing your best to get it on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and you know and i think that's why so many writers when they talk about a writer voice Like, that is the way that, that is their auteur you know? And it is kind of just built into being a writer yourself, uh, at least a prose writer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, it's not, I haven't, I haven't been making films for very long at all, but I definitely feel like there's something about um, a specific mood that I can bring to group dynamic that it seems to be missing when I'm not there. And I think that's the... That's the asset, isn't it? It's, like, the the, the thing that you... the only you can bring to it. Um, and my mood is, like, just chill out, man. Just calm down. Yeah. It's okay. Give it a go. See if it works. Because I think they haven't written for so long. First of all, I'm like, well... I don't... I Like, I have to... Right, without caring if it'll ever transpire into anything because I've written stuff that I thought was very good and it goes out and some people agree, sometimes they don't, sometimes it gets published, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it gets big publications, sometimes not Um and like at each stage it gets, no matter how far you think it gets, then eventually it stops and then you just got to make something else, right? I don't, I don't really know how oh. else to describe it Um but when you when you think of movies, or when you think about like somebody recording you, you're like, oh my god, a permanent record of this. And I'm like, trust me, it's as if nobody's watching. It's okay, you know. <laughs> so,
2: I, I think we yeah. get to that tour place where you're not really like they work with a lot of these directors work within the studio system. That's how they get financing and stuff. But they but they very much are kind of Giving this free reign to get their vision out there. And I think you have to start the way Linkletter started here, with by making something that breaks the mold in a successful way and has something interesting to say so that the people with the money who may not be as creative can go, oh, the concept works. Like he made this movie for I don't know how much he, he caught slacker cost. I can't imagine it very much. Probably just whatever he spent on the film, like the actual. Cost of I the think it about
0: seven, seven to ten thousand dollars, something like um Mariachi, same thing, you know, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I mean, this, so if they go, he could do this with ten thousand dollars, but you know, someone with a little bit more money goes, let's give him a hundred thousand and see what he can do. And he makes, I don't know what his next movie was, Dazed and Confused,
1: which is, which is, was, a,
2: yeah. yeah, a little a, along the same lines, a kind of hangout movie where people are just kind of espousing philosophy, a day in the life, a, of a whatever these characters are and then that movie is super successful and then they go oh let's give him i don't know five million dollars let's give him ten million dollars let's see what he can keep doing and i think for all of these directors that you're that you could you could say that they have are able to put their stamp on a movie and make it uniquely theirs i think they all have that in common where they came up that way they took the steps up the ladder instead of going to film school and then getting hired by Universal to direct Ant-Man or something. Like, they took these small steps and had to prove themselves over and over and over again to the point where, you know, when Wes Anderson goes, give me $50 million and I'm going to make a black and white movie starring Willem Dafoe and Bill Murray you know, and or something, and people are just like, yeah, sure, <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll, be, it'll make money, you're great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's some, um, yeah, it can't be taught, right? I mean, you think about what, I don't know, you think about what Linklater brings to Slacker, and it's like, it's all the people that he knows, all the connections he's made, Um, it's what he sees in these people, because, like I say, I don't think I would have given them the time of day if they weren't put on the screen like for a set amount of time and i was going to sit and watch them If the guy that came up to me and started talking like that i'd be like sorry no spirit change yeah, yeah. Just, like run away <laughs> so
2: yeah that dude yeah. in slacker who follows the dude out of the coffee shop and he's just like rambling at him for 10 minutes or so about know, what was he talking about like, ufos or something or, or no the kennedys i don't know what the hell he was talking <laughs> about but it was <laughs>
0: I'm like,
2: Instagram, that guy yeah. is so patient telling this man not to fuck off right
0: now. <laughs> so, I remembered what Linklater said about that scene in the director's... It, it was something like, the guy who's listening to him asked, like, should I be judging this guy? And Linklater was like, no, it's for the, it's for the viewer to judge him. Like, you just act as if this is fine. I thought that was really interesting, because um, I had wondered that watching that, like, what are we supposed to think of this guy? We're supposed to think about this being presented to us, and I think it's like um, well, as Linklater said l- later, it's like there's something um, admirable about the way these people lived their lives. Clearly, he sees that because he's dedicated his whole career to to giving them a voice. It's pretty
2: interesting how he was told that guy to basically not react to him because. Yeah because the way the movie set up with the vignettes, like that guy would have been the main character of the vignette before. And then he just becomes a side character in the next one, you know, mm-hmm. or vice versa. But like people go from being, having the focus on them to having just being there while the focus just shifts to someone else. And it's really weirdly naturalistic. It's like very natural the way mm-hmm. that the movie is unfolding. Um, even though sometimes some really silly things happen too. That lady, uh, the lady coming up trying to sell the, the Madonna pat smear. Is so like, i
0: so the- <laughs> <laughs> she's like, uh, she's like, Piece of the mother of the rug, of Or something. It's so random.
2: mother of the mother of the of the mother so the
0: my, my favorite bit was um, what is it the the she quit attacking women. I should know. I'm a medical doctor. She just says it like so many times.
2: <laughs> yeah. So random. yeah. Um, it was another I, one of those moments where I was like, "This guy's very patient, sitting here in this diner while this, uh, you know, woman just keeps ranting at him."
0: Uh, again, I, th- I think. Yeah. Something that happened to Linklater, the woman started <laughs> just, just saying that to him a lot, which I think is really funny. Um. But it's really, um, yeah, I think that is, like, his his flair for, like, identifying a local character is what, it makes you feel that, like, wherever you are in the world, there must be some importance to it if you just spent a bit more time looking at it, which I think is not my natural way of thinking at all.
2: Because it is kind of showing you that the small moments and in the inconsequential moments are actually important moments that deserve their own attention. And it makes the fact that I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the supermarket and I might interact with a person for two minutes. But that is its own little moment of time and its own little movie in the grander scheme of everything. Uh, And I'm a part of it too, you know, and I'm a part of the world and how everything is just connected in this weird way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a really lovely way of seeing things. I think that is like, if you, I know boyhood is like quite a commitment, but I think that like, if you do end up giving it a chance, you would like it for that reason, because it's very much like an ordinary teens experience and giving that value and not noticing the flow of time. And yet, you know, nothing's changing and everything's changing at the same time. It captures that really well. And again, just making it seem like whoever you are, that's important. it's beautiful it's kind of
2: beautiful in a way
0: <laughs> it really is and i love them um, i love the 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 before trilogy as well because i feel like um i've never seen i mean you know what it's like when you're like early in a relationship and you're having huge conversations with somebody that maybe you've never had with anybody else i've never seen that private intimate experience that we must all lots of a share put on a screen so well um and, like, I love that. That's just, like, my favorite time in life. And it's two random people who happen to connect and have this huge connection, just because they spend enough time talking to one another. Um, and later it gets kind of dark in that it it points out, I guess, there like, there isn't one person for everyone, right? And I think that's very much explored in these films. But I also find it beautiful that two people who spend enough time together can can make a beautiful unique connection it just makes the world seem like a much nicer place if that's possible you know
1: yeah. well it's yeah. like it's that it's that
2: it's somehow saying we're all unique and yet we're all the same at the same time which is yeah. like a really weird sentiment to try and express
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know and in a lot of ways i think that's might be his his kind of Linklater specifically, his kind of overall statement as an artist and what he's trying to express to the world is, you know, big and small, we're all kind of following the same path through life, and we're all going to have little moments where beauty or terror or whatever shine through, and we're all going to have to, we're all going to have this in common, essentially. And it's going to be, but our situation is very unique to ourselves, but it's in common with everybody else's situation, (laughs) you know, like everyone's going to fall in love. Maybe not everyone, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's a, it's a common human experience that you mentally feel a connection to another person. But at the same time, the particulars and the minutia of that moment are not going to be similar for any two people
0: yeah absolutely it's yeah it's specific and universal like you say which is a huge theme in literature as well i think that link later somebody who can call me out on this because i don't know that much about cinema but i i think he explore he's is the best example of that being explored in cinema something that is done in like um are there any kind of like big maximalist novels about like one day that is expanded to reveal universe or whatever um but yeah, he does that very well. Um, so I think what's successful about these chats is that we pick a director, we pick one film that like I've never seen before, one film that you've never Ooh. seen before of that director, and we can discuss okay. and compare them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude,
2: uh, this is I, I love too having this kind of talk because it really helps shine more light on something i'm already interested in getting another perspective on it is is really enlightening and interesting you know
0: <laughs>
2: no i was really is,
0: I, you know, go for it
2: I was saying, especially with, we might connect with different things in the same film so it is very much
1: a kind of handshake of a conversation
0: yeah i totally agree and um no, it's really I was really looking forward to this like more than my typical podcast episodes as well, because we had such a lovely chat last time and it's like sharing passion about something. Uh yeah. pretty unique. So no, I loved it. Um I we'll we'll keep in touch and do another one, but uh you have a lot of stuff that you've been working on at the moment. For you've been spending all weekend talking to people, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I've been doing podcasts all weekend. I I don't know when you're planning on releasing this exactly, but I did a, uh, I edited a book uh, with another writer called Brian Asman. We kind of grabbed a bunch of our favorite Bizarro writers or uh, people who write Bizarro, and we had them write literary uh, – we had them write essentially porn parodies of famous literary works. So there's like porn parodies of 1984 and – parody of uh, Emily Dickinson poems and uh, uh, the Clockwork Orange is in there. Just like take it, taking a, uh, something that is kind of revered for people who like literature or something you, they would teach you in college and just taking the piss out of it and being really silly and irreverent. Uh, it's called Boinking Bizarro essentially. So it's a it's a anthology of we call it weird parodies because they're not all necessarily porn uh but that was kind of our jumping off point with the idea and it's
1: ridiculous and i've been trying to to get people to
2: you know raise the the word and people to hop on board pre-order a copy because it comes out december 1st
0: december 1st okay i think this will be out after that but i will still make sure all the links are in and everything Oh, yeah, no, no, that's fine. Yeah. The book will
2: still be around. It doesn't just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know.
0: Oh, no. Um, and also, I, I saw you've got more Unnerving articles in the latest issue.
2: Yeah, those have been fun. It's, it's, I feel a lot of people have been leaning into the fact that I like movies by, like, us having this chat and Eddie, uh, Eddie Generis, who runs Unnerving, has given me the opportunity to write these comedy articles for his magazine where I essentially it's a, the article is a conversation between me and the famous director where I start pitching them a movie and it's usually some ridiculous version of something they've already made. So like, uh, the example I was using, uh, the other day was there's an, uh, in a column where I'm talking to Ari Aster who made Hereditary and *Midsummer*. And so I pitched to him uh, a version of *Midsummer*, but with the Griswolds from those National Lampoon vacation movies. So, so it's, uh, it's National Lampoon Scandinavian vacation. So I take Clark Griswold and his family and stick them in the, the Midsummer Village and kind of see how they essentially get killed.
1: Looking <laughs> 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 plays out yeah so it's just a
2: lot of shit like that it's called dangerous failed film pitches and it's just me pitching ridiculous ideas to famous directors it's all made up obviously
0: and how about your own writing
2: yeah well you know i haven't i haven't had a, a actual book release since last summer uh with impossible games but i do have some things coming out in 2021 i sold a novella um it's a little early to announce specifically what's going on there but uh that should be out in 2021 possibly a second book too and i you know obviously i I started our chat by i've just been writing (laughs) spending my days at home writing so i should have a nice uh backlog of stuff for the the future by the time i have to go back to work
0: Mm -hmm. awesome well lovely talking to you really appreciate it you too, it's been, it's been great. so there you go more film chats from us in the future i'm very very sure if you would like to be on the show if you want to tell me something about the show uh, you can always do so using losing the plot podcast at gmail.com i look forward to hearing from you until next time that's uh, all my chat this time bye bye